you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks presented by Castrol Edge. DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, uh, did you get a chance to uh, to watch the National Championship game last night? Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun to check out. Um, I think... You know, obviously, when you look at what Alabama has done and you marvel at their success and the success of Nick Saban and what he's created down there. But then also, they're a bunch of really good players. And I think what is funny is that you can see two teams with really good players and one looks like they are so superior to the other when you put them on the field together. Uh, It was remarkable to watch. Hats off to Alabama. Terrific run. And what I would say is probably the most challenging season that we've seen in college football in a long time due to the pandemic. Yeah, we're going to get to some of these NFL topics um, as well. What happened with Philadelphia with Doug Peterson moving on? Where does he make sense? Uh, what makes sense for the Eagles going forward? Um, we'll touch on some other NFL topics, but I do think we should stay here on this college uh, championship game here for a moment because so many different things to talk about. You, you mentioned the difference between the two teams. It, I tweeted it out. It looked like Alabama was playing seven-on-seven seven against the scout team. I mean, it looked like it literally looked like a Thursday practice 
seven on seven, sit back there and just pick them apart. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I just felt like for so long with Ohio State, we're so used to them having a special dude or multiple special dudes up front. They didn't have that, and you cannot beat Alabama if you don't have any any dogs up front in the no. trenches. And because Mac Jones was able to really throw from a grassy knoll without any kind of pressure to rest, it was a game of seven on seven. I will also say this. Steve Sarkeesian got Texas fans really excited. Now, the problem is he won't get to bring take those players with him, but <laughs> the creativity that he displayed, the a way that he attacked that Ohio State defense, I think what we have seen is Steve Sarkeesian has grown, in my mind, a lot as a play caller from the time he was at SC and the time that he had the opportunity to run the offense in Atlanta. I think he has really gone up a notch in terms of his creativity and his aggressiveness. Of course, you can do that when you have all the weapons. I mean, like it's easy to be the bully when you got all the you got the gun and all the bullets. Yeah. But so he did I, a really I, good job. I want to revisit a topic that we had talked about uh, earlier on the season. And we mentioned kind of this as an outlier because we we talked about the need to be more athletic at the quarterback position because offensive line play in the NFL is not great in, in terms of mm-hmm. what the college game has given you. So as a young quarterback who's not going to have all the answers to the tests, in, in, in other words, you're not going to be Drew Brees or, or Tom Brady and have all the knowledge to know where all your answers are. Um, that the ability to kind of get away and escape versus a free rusher, not asking for a rush for 80 yards, but you got to be mobile enough to be able to be sudden enough to get away from those guys was a necessity in the NFL. Now we look at this game and a Matt Jones is not a statue. He, Mac Jones can move a little bit. Like he's not somebody that's completely statuesque, but he's not the most athletic guy in the world, Buck. And you watch him on that stage and you mentioned that he's got a great play caller. He's got a great offensive line and, and all these stud receivers, but he was pretty efficient, man, and mm-hmm. at least, uh, you know, I, I'm going to really look forward to digging in on his tape. I haven't done it yet, but it causes you to think, okay, you can make some exceptions here for guys that maybe aren't the most athletic if you can process and deliver the ball as accurately as he did last night. Yeah, the way he played, I, I think it certainly changes. You're going to have people put him in that conversation as a mid-first-round player. Where does he stack up? I've seen some guys say, hey, he's the, he's the fifth quarterback, or maybe some will put him ahead of Trey Lance for whatever reason. I think here's the thing, and I think it's tough, and I think as we continue to evolve when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks, is sometimes as much as we can, we have to take away the things that are around him and really look at the player itself. Because when Mac Jones goes to the National Football League, he won't necessarily have the fortress in front of him. He may not have all the pass catchers or whatever. And we could say the same thing. Tua didn't have that. And we saw Tua at Miami. And Tua looks different oh. in Miami than the version that we saw at Alabama, whereas Justin Herbert didn't have all those things, played with less. And, you know, like he, he played a little better when he was surrounded by stuff. I think it's going to be important to be able to separate Mac Jones from scheme, play caller, and the playmakers around him. But – I will say his ability to process, his ability to make the ball um, get out and throw with touch timing and anticipation is impressive. I just don't know now, DJ, in, in this time, when was the last time that we've seen a quarterback that is like that drafted high and play really, really well? Yeah, that's early? what we talked about. That's what we talked about. The bus, if you look at the guys who haven't worked out, if you're talking about Rosen and Haskins – yeah. That was a little bit of the knock on those guys. Yeah, and 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 so I different wanted, people, different people it, but yeah, obviously. Different, different people, but when we look just the way the game is trending, mm-hmm. who who's the who's the young player that is like that? Like I I guess 
maybe we could throw Jared Goff in that conversation somewhat, but then we hear the conversation negatively on Jared Goff and how Sean McVay has to do so much and how they were excited about John Wolford because it enabled them to do more stuff. And so how many offensive coordinators are signing up for that style quarterback? Yeah. You know, and so it just makes it, it just makes it, it's just, it's like there's a road for him, but I think his path is narrower than the path for some other guys when it comes to playing quarterback. And again, I, I'm really looking forward to diving into the tape because, mm-hmm. you know, Baker is not a great athlete. He's an okay athlete, but he can move around a little bit. Yeah. They can get, he throws well on the move and those things. Um, but that might be something I'm thinking of Kirk Cousins. I'm thinking of Baker Mayfield, like those. The common, what's, what's the, the, the common denominator? System, the system yeah. that they're playing in. It um, matters. Yeah, the system that they're playing in. Both of them are playing in similar systems that Shanahan system, the stretch bootleg system, where they create a lot of easy opportunities for the quarterback. You just have to be mobile enough to get to the tackle box, to the edge of the tackle box in terms of the bootleg. If you can do that, you can play in that system. And with all the play action and all that other stuff, they make it easy. But without A-level athleticism, really B-level athleticism, it does make it more challenging for the play caller because you have to be you have to be very accurate with your play calls. He doesn't have the ability to erase some of yeah. your mistakes unless when we get in the meeting room, he can erase it with his mind because he's so good at processing and making checks and winning the pre-snap phase. So a couple teams that I, I actually was just thinking about with him. And again, we'll, we'll do the full mm-hmm. workup. We have time to do that. It's a long process before we get to the draft. Uh, we can flesh all this out. But just top of head, top of my head, uh, looking at this draft order here, which we know now through picks 24. Uh, by the way, good weekend for the Jets as they end up with the 23rd pick yes. now for uh-huh. that uh, Jamal Adams trade. But um, when you look at two teams, Indianapolis and Pittsburgh, Perfect. what do those teams have? They have good infrastructure. Um, you, Pittsburgh is always going to have receivers. Juju's a free agent, but with Chase Claypool and all the other weapons that they have, it's a good foundation. Yes. And so – I think he could. I think that fits his skill set there. Um, and then an Indy, he's going to be protected. Good offensive line. Um, and you know, I know that they, you know, they have uh, another quarterback there uh, from Jake Washington. Jacob Jake Jake So they've got another young quarterback with totally different skill set. He's got a howitzer, huge arm. Um, but I think Mac Jones, just in terms of the accuracy, the Mac process, Jones play, he plays a, plays a position better. He plays it more similarly to Philip. You know, to the way Phillips played it there. Um, but those are those are teams. And that's why when we look at a guy like that who's used to playing with great players, he's had a talent advantage on his side. He might get the benefit of going in the bottom of the first round, going to a better team. Yeah. And and, and I think that that certainly plays a role in the success of the quarterback. I mean, sometimes you go later, you, you get picked up by a better team. You have better uh, not only better coaching, but you have a better support system around you. And so the pass catches that you have, the running game, the offensive line. All of those things impact how you perform at the position. And so for Mac Jones, and I think we have to throw Kyle Trask also into that conversation yeah. in terms of the That's athletic limitations. Yeah, like you have to kind of put them in the, in, the, in the same category in terms of stylistically how they play and the, the teams that will look for those quarterbacks and teams that can succeed with those quarterbacks. They're not as many, but there's still some guys who still prefer to have a guy that can can do it. Tampa Bay is one of those teams that still can win with those kinds of guys because they're built like that. And because Byron Leftwich, the play caller and Bruce Arians are very comfortable with that style of quarterback. Yeah. 
Um, what, what were some of the other takeaways, Buck? I mean, I, I we talked about the positive there with Mac Jones, the way he played, how he helped himself. Sw- switch it over to uh, Justin Fields. What did you see from him last night? Oh, I mean, I, 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 look, I think the game that he had in the semifinal game, I think that'll be the, the pinnacle. I think the people that really like him and endorse everything that he brings to the table, they will point to the Clemson game. I think the Alabama game showed what I kind of expected to see because the complexity, a little bit of what Alabama does in terms of the pre-snap, post-snap stuff, I I think was going down. Let me cut you off. I want to cut you off here because I want to do an exercise just because we've done this in the room, right? So we're getting ready to talk about Justin Fields. Let's focus what can he do, okay? Let's just go – you know, when you're you're in the draft Mm -hmm. room and we start having these discussions, say, no, no, I know know what the – I want to hear about the limitations. What can he do? So after we've seen Justin Fields in these two games, tell me what can Justin Fields do? First thing that comes to mind is he's tough because he played played with the injury, his toughness. He got hit. He hung in there. Uh, the game got away from them, and I didn't see him fold up to 10 and absolutely just let go of the rope. Um, I think he has big-time arm talent. I think his arm talent to be able to push the ball down the field, even though he's late, he can make up for it with his ability to put pace and velocity on the ball. I think he's an outstanding athlete, and I think his athleticism was limited by the fact that he was dealing with an injury. But when he did scoot out, you can see how, as a runner, he can create conflict for the defense when he gets out in space. And I think the final thing is, I think what he can be is, I think you can see the developmental potential based on the fact that he was, what, 20 and two. He has 22 collegiate starts. And I think you can imagine the possibilities, but I think it may take time. And I think system is going to be very, very important in terms of what you put him in. Yeah, that, that's good, man. I, I Tough, talented are the two big ones I put down. I, I would put, you know, even just watching some of the pregame stuff, like you could see those guys rally around him. He's got a little bit of that galvanizing effect. So I would put leadership down there. We'll we'll talk to coaches mm-hmm. and get more info on that, but that seems to be a strength for him. Um, the athleticism, to me, what you can do with that is endless. We saw him. Look, he's, he was hurt. He was injured playing through that. He still was, uh, I think, he, what do you have, 67? Yeah, six carries for 67 yards. Uh, against that group and he's not they said 95 percent in the pregame there's no no way 95 so i've got that i've got that athleticism to work with i've got the competitiveness the toughness we talked about the ability to make every throw and the thing that i talk about what he can do he's going to get better it's like to me where his ceiling is he's nowhere near where he can get um now there's times where you see him get locked on and there's a couple throws in that game um you know, where we say, okay, you need to take a little bit off. But I think all that stuff's in front of him. So I'm, I'm actually just, even when I'm saying something kind of negative, to me it's a positive because he hadn't played a lot, and I feel like he's got more ahead of him. So some of these guys, like Mac Jones, we just talked about him. He's a good, he's good, but he is kind of where he is. Like That's where no he is. There's, there's no more. Yeah, there's just no more. Fields, there's a lot more meat left on that bone. Yeah, and I, and I think it comes down to, I mean, we've seen it, and – I'm telling you now, like with the quarterback evaluation, I think you have to really be very imaginative in terms of looking at the prospect in the ceiling because Josh Allen, Josh Allen, where Josh Allen was as a college prospect to where Josh Allen is as a player over a three year period, he got better. And so coaching system and supporting cast matters. And I think for Justin Fields, if he decides to come out, I think those things really, really matter. And you know, it, it it just depends, man, because you hear all these things. And I think it'd be interesting because you know what I wish, and I know we don't have the 
luxury of doing. I would love to have seen Zach Wilson play in those kinds of games. I would love to see him play in a semifinal game, a championship game where he's playing against another team that's talented that really pushes him to have to kind of put more on him. We don't get that, and and that's fine, but I do wonder what that that would have looked like. Yeah, I mean, look, if you want to have that conversation, you can say Zach Wilson's kind of premier game and and center stage moment was against Coastal Carolina. And I'm a Zach Wilson, I'm a Zach Wilson guy. Like I love Zach Wilson the way he plays. And coming through this process where we are up until these games, I've had him over Justin Fields. I haven't got a chance to watch the tape yet of these two semifinal games. So that's going to be a big part of the evaluation. But that's a just that look again, I, I on the pod, I love it when we kind of take people behind the curtain because this is a this is a conversation, I guarantee you. Now it might be in Zoom, I guess, because they're not going to have traditional draft meetings, but this is a heated conversation in draft rooms between you've got the one scout who was on who maybe did the West Coast and is standing on the table for Zach Wilson. You've got the Midwest scout who's standing on the table for Justin Fields. And and the two arguments are Zach Wilson's ahead of him right now. When you look at where he is in terms of his polish, his ability to mm-hmm. make all these throws and, and, and play better. He just simply played better than Justin yeah. Fields. So that's that's what you're saying. And then the other guy from the Midwest is saying, yeah, that's great. You played on some teal turf against Coastal Carolina. This guy's playing against Nick Saban and Clemson in a semifinal game at a national championship game. One of those games, he tore him apart. The, the other game, he was out there hobbled and injured and was competitive. You know, he, he didn't look out of place at all in that field. Um, so that's that's the debate that's taking place. Yeah, no, I think it, it will be an interesting debate. And I, and I think really this comes down to styles and preferences and and what do you want? I will say this Zach Wilson is a quicker processor. I, I just think he's more of a natural pocket passer mm-hmm. than Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is a more talented athlete and player playmaker. And so what do you want at the position? What, and I think it's important that the scouts scout the coaches because mm-hmm. you have to know what your offensive coordinator, his capacity to bring things out of quarterbacks and what he can do and the creative part of it, because I think that's what it comes down to. You want to hear a random analogy? (laughs) I was just looking, just thinking about these two guys, right? So we're trying to get the image to me. You've got one quarterback and Zach Wilson that would win in horse, right? Every type of throw you would try and make, if you're playing horse in the backyard basketball, for those that don't know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you just make, I got to make a shot. If I make a shot, you've got to make the same shot. You got to make a shot. Yeah, you got to match it. He can make every type of throw from any platform in any direction, any trajectory, anything. So he's kind of like he he would win a horse. And then when I think of Justin Fields, I think he has more horsepower. Yeah, you know, like that's what it is. He just got more. There's just more in him in terms of being able to. They both have big arms, but I think Justin Fields can get a little bit more. And then with his as a runner, he just is more forceful. You know. Yeah, and and the stature is also going to come in come into play too. Oh, because, that's a great point. You know, like Justin Fields is 230 pounds, like and, and he's built, like he's thicker, he's dense, broad, broad shouldered. Zach Wilson looks narrow. Yeah, Zach, Zach Wilson isn't like that. Yeah, and so you just. You just think about the stuff and some of the quarterback run game. And that's why I think it was really important. And I'm, and I'm glad like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson were able to advance in the playoffs because that yeah. was going to be the debate. If they didn't advance, then the argument kind of dies a little bit in the war room when you talk about, hey, let's look at how these guys have been able to succeed and flourish as guys that weren't 
necessarily hailed as polished prospects. Well, now that they advance and one of those guys is going to be in the championship game, I think the, the debate now, you can get a, a willing ear to listen to that. And so it'd be interesting because why can't we have four quarterbacks that all end up being pretty good with Trey Lance? Because Trey Lance is the one that gets thrown out of the conversation because we didn't see him as much this year. And so that showcase game was whatever it was. Which wasn't a good game for him. Yeah, he kind of falls by the wayside, but he should also be included in that conversation when we talk about the top four. Yeah, and you talk about having horsepower and the size and the physicality. And, oh, man, the toughness off the charts. So he's going to be – watch. He's going to be somebody that started out hot in the process. We didn't see him this year, but for a single game, falls back and then comes right comes back, back forward. Yeah. He's that guy. Every year we have one, right? He's he's going to be that guy this year. Yes, and then in a year or two, we're like, man, I don't know how why, – why didn't anybody take him? I can't believe everybody passed on Trey Lance like – and we're gonna be like, but I do think I mean, we've said for a long time we think four in the top ten, um, and Mac Jones kind of entering the conversation, you know, as potentially a fifth first rounder. We'll see, you know, Kyle Trask. I got to get do more work on him. Man, it's a quarterback year, but quarterback year. I absolutely believe, like, and I know, like, it's, it's it's mock drafting season, and I know it's only so much gas that you have, right? So you can't empty your stuff, but there has to be four that go in the top ten. There has to just just counting the number of teams that need them that are in the top 10, the first two teams, two right out there, Atlanta has to get one. The Carolina Panthers have to get one. I don't sleep on Detroit, and I wouldn't sleep on Philadelphia. Right. So, so DJ, like, yes. So right there, that puts you in the mix. Four have to be in the conversation. Like, it has to be a done deal. Yeah. Which, which is going to push some of these receivers down. Which, again, let's get to that. Let's get to that. Because I was uh, talking before we came on uh, with Nabil and Mark, and we were talking about Devontae Smith, how high can he go? Um, you know, the knock on him is the frame and all that. I mean, he's a phenomenal route runner. The production, the hands, run after catch, checks all the other boxes. He just doesn't have that frame. and doesn't have maybe that, you know, time speed is not going to blow you away. But we've all long said that's overrated. That being said, when you look at receivers that go in the top five, you're talking about freak shows. You're talking about uh, Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Andre Johnson. These guys are freaks, like physical freaks. You don't see undersized guys. I mean, if you're looking at historically kind of the smaller guys, think about Peter Wark, and that that didn't work out well. The last two that were not what we call prototypical big body guys that win the top ten, Tavon Austin and John Ross. Yeah, and, and it didn't work out well for either guy. And I think if I am going to take a receiver in the top 10, I, I want to win the beauty pageant. And I think the bigger thing is this, DJ, because we'll have that conversation um, in war rooms. What is the difference between Devonta Smith and some of the guys that potentially will fall in the second round? Or Rashad Bateman, or Rondell Moore, or whatever. And how big is that gap is it a sizable gap to make me say, no, I absolutely have to take this guy in the top 10 because I won't get another player in the draft that has comparable skills and ability to give me similar impact. So I got asked about this. Uh, somebody was asking me about the Jets, right? Uh, might even have been Rich. I don't know. But somebody's asking about the Jets. Do you take Devontae Smith if you're the Jets and then, you know, stick with Sam Darnold, you give him a weapon, blah, blah, blah. 
Okay. Let, let me just tell you, let me just give you, we talked about it all year long. I mean, look, Justin Jefferson and, and Ayuk, uh, CeeDee Lamb, those guys all had great years. Let me give you the wide receivers in the second round just in this last draft. You tell me who the bad player is, Buck. T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, LaVisca Chenault, K.J. Hamler, Chase Claypool, Van Jefferson, Denzel Mims. Who's the bad player in that group? There's not one. So how do you take one up there? How do you do that? There's not one. And so my my biggest thing has been maybe we shouldn't draft a wide receiver in the first round because we're seeing so many guys come out of the second and third round have success. There's a million of them. Right. Maybe maybe you just go, hey, look, I, I love him. I love him as a player. We can give him his due, give him the grade that he wants, but we don't need to take him. We don't need to take him there when we can take an offensive tackle. As we talk about the marquee positions, if we think about this simply, what are the premium positions on the team? And we talk about in the trenches and at quarterback. I mean. Well, that's why, like, answer me this. Uh, answer me this one. I, I've said – I think I would rather have Kyle Pitts in the first round because I don't find anybody like Kyle Pitts. I'm not going to find anybody like him in, in right. the second round of this draft. I can find receivers. I mean, Jamar Chase, I love him. He's I think he's the best one in the draft. But I can find other dudes in the second round that get come him, in and help. Get him, get him all the time. I can get A.J. Brown. I can get a Michael Thomas. People will say, well, look, you know, look, Kelsey wasn't a first rounder and you look at Kittle wasn't a first rounder. Yeah, but I can find you uh, loads of picks that were second, third round tight ends that did nothing. I just gave you the list of every single receiver picked in the second round last year. They're all hit. Every single one of them. All of them. You know, and the thing about Cal Pitts, the the only question has little to do with him and more to do with the play caller. Because does your coordinator have a clear understanding for how to utilize a talent like that? And I think the the problem is when we see tight ends taken in the top 10 the last few years, Eric Ebron, uh, TJ Hawkinson, I don't know if the guys who were drawing up the plays knew how to feature the tight end so you can get the value, you can get the return on the investment. They've been good players. I mean, they've been good players, even though it took Ebron going to another location. So that that would be the thing. Yeah, but Kyle, Kyle Pitts is different. I think you have to look for in the first round, I want a unicorn. Yep. I want something that I can't get elsewhere. I, yep. I want something that is different. And if we if we do it like that, then it really limits what positions we would even target. Uh, years ago, I had this debate because I was slow to come around on Quentin Nelson because, look, old school thoughts, old school thinking was you don't draft a guard. You don't draft a guard that high. Yeah. But he's a unicorn, though. Like he's a unicorn. He's he's something different. When you look at the way that he played guard compared to anybody else that played guard, he's different. So in the first round, I want unicorns. I want things that I'm not going to necessarily see in this lifetime. You know, the other interesting thing is you want tackles. You want offensive tackles. Take them in the first round, man. Like I, I look at teams and say, well, you know what? I need a tackle. I need a receiver. You better take your tackle first, man. Because it's not coming around. They ain't going to be there. They're all gone. So you can hold off and wait. on. I need a running back, a receiver. Wait, you're fine. You get some. They're everywhere. Supply and demand. The the difference in your first tier, top tier tackles and your second tier tackles, it's a bigger gap between those and your first tier wideouts and your second tier wideouts and some of those other positions. I think those wideout tiers just kind of blend in together, you know? So, and a lot of it, a lot of it is due to um, 
like what offense are they in? What scheme? How they utilize? How do they feature? I think that's the other thing too. And this isn't a knock because Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and all those guys are good. But sometimes when you're scouting, you have to be able to separate scheme from the talent of the player. And I will mm-hmm. say Sark was in his bag. He he was he was doing everything to create to get Devontae Smith twelve catches in the first half. I was sitting there like, my gosh, like like how do you move someone around and do those things or whatever? But you have to be able to separate that because if we take him out, because if we put Devonta Smith in a static offense that doesn't move much, like if we put him in Philadelphia, are they going to be able to utilize him? We got to find out who their coach is first. <laughs> you know, like can can they utilize him to really tap into the talent and the potential that he has? Yeah, no. Another big winner uh, from the game last night was Barmore, who it was funny. They were talking about him on the broadcast, uh, the defensive tackle, Christian Barmore for, for Alabama. When, when you watch him during the year, when you really study him, he's got some bad games, man. Like there's games where he doesn't do anything. Like I want to say the South Carolina game, uh, very disappointing. And then he flashes in other games. And then, of course, he comes on the national scene here in these two games and plays lights out. And everybody's on him. Everybody's on him, but I just I would just offer this little bit of caution because if you remember remember when Clemson uh, played Bama, I think this is the one they lost to Bama in the, with uh, with Watson, one of the first ones there. No, 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 it might have been the one they won. Uh, but Kevin Dodd, you remember him? Oh, Ke- Kevin wow. Dodd and Shaq Lawson yeah. were the two edge rushers yeah. for Clemson, and, and Shaq Shaq had Dodd. been kind of the guy. But man, Kevin Dodd came on he at the flashed. end. He played gangbusters. I I was at the game, so I took a big bite out of that apple. He's out of. I think he's out of the league, Buck. Um, yeah, he is. I mean, look. In in a way, you could kind of say that about Cleveland Farrell. Like yeah. Farrell had a big game on the big stage. Um, kind of showed out and was very impressive. But we haven't seen that same kind of stuff at the next level. Injuries have played a part in it. But yeah, like I think it is something like we want to give people credit for shining and showcasing in those big games. But you also want to reference the regular season because the regular season does matter. Like it does play a part in the evaluation. Like you have to give it its proper due and make sure it slots into the the puzzle pie. Once you get outside the first couple rounds, I'm okay with some of those. But to me, like my first two picks in a draft – I'm not, I don't want misses, man. I go back to Ozzie Newsome. Doubles, doubles, doubles. So give me the guy that's been the same guy from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. Maybe I sacrifice a little bit of what somebody could be, or I'm hoping and wishing. I don't want to hope and wish with my first two picks, man. <laughs> yeah, wanna, no, you, DJ, you have to you have to nail it because really, and I know we're draft guys and we love the draft and we like to romanticize about hey, the fifth, the, you know, we find this guy in the fifth and sixth. The league is really a first and second round league. Um, when you look at the rosters, like it's really comprised of a bunch of first rounders and second rounders and then some others. And yeah. so if you can consistently nail the first round and find starters in the second and third rounds, your team is going to be fine. All the other stuff that happens in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, I'll say it and it's not going to be probably it's a, little, a lot of luck involved in that. <laughs> like if, if, if your guy's a seventh round pick and he comes and becomes a, a starter and a high end starter, there's a lot of luck in that. Yeah, no, interesting point. Um, All right, we mentioned it uh, briefly there, talking about would somebody fit with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, They uh, they make the move. Doug Peterson is out. Now they're on. They're the seventh team now looking for a head coach. And I think uh, Jet fans were not happy with me because I had uh, tweeted out 
look, that would make some sense with the Jets. I'm not lobbying for him to go to the Jets. I'm not saying he's the favorite to go to the Jets. I'm just simply saying two things. I believe Doug Peterson is a good football coach, and mm-hmm. I know Doug Peterson and Joe Douglas have a great relationship from their time together. That's it. That's all I'm saying. He'd be one of the candidates that they have to consider up there with the Jets. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to connect the dots because that relationship between head coach and general manager is is, is critical. Um, You have to see the game through the same prism. You have to be able to have the checks and balances um, built in where you can have these hard conversations to make decisions on what we need to do, not only personnel-wise, but what are we going to do from a coaching standpoint, Uh, staffing and all of those things. And so I understand it. It makes complete sense that you at least have to investigate and see if it's a right fit. You also, in my estimation, I want to bring Doug in at least for a long conversation because I want to get his opinion on my quarterback. I want to get another guy's opinion based on the quarterbacks that he's been around. Hey, you've seen Carson. You've seen Jalen Hurts. You've been around Foles and some other guys that have come through this building. Give me your take on our guy. Where do you think our guy is? Shoot, he, yeah, he played with Brett Favre. He played with, you know, all those dudes. Yeah, like, give me the pros. Give me the cons. What could he be? What would be, in your mind, the best plan to get him that? And even if I don't hire you, I want that intel. Because yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to take all this data and figure out how can I make the best decision for my franchise going forward. I'm laughing, by the way, as we're doing this, because the, the Raiders tweeted out that they hired Gus Bradley. That's not funny. I love Gus. It, we, we've known Gus forever. The funny thing is they put a picture of Ken Wisenhunt uh, on, the, uh, on the graphic. They, they hired him. I'm like, yeah, that's not Gus. That's Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, so they took it down. I guess they have to put up a new one. But again, this is kind of the this is what we talked about earlier, right? If you're a team that already has your head coach but is making a coordinator change, you better jump on it right away. So what have we seen? We've seen Dan Quinn, the Dallas Cowboys, probably had to overpay, I guarantee you, to be able to lock yeah, so that he does not have a chance to look elsewhere. Lock in Dan Quinn. Now it looks like the Raiders, who already have their head coach, who had a coordinator opening. Lock in Gus Bradley. If you think about you know Robert Sala, his connections to Gus, um, anybody that's uh, – uh, mm-hmm. that's out here trying to get a job and looking for a veteran coordinator, you think Gus would be highly sought after. So lock him in. So I feel like the team's kind of uh, taking the approach we thought they would. Yeah, and I also think it is this. I don't think it's a coincidence with uh, Gus Bradley and Dan Quinn that they have had success in their respective backgrounds um, as head coaches with young guys getting on the field. Uh, there are a lot of people that would knock the simplicity of this scheme but the simplicity of the scheme enables you to develop and get young guys onto the field. And when you think about the way the league is trending, particularly if we're about to experience a salary cap crunch, young guys more than ever have to be able to get on the field and they have to be able to play. And so um, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's something to that. I think it's something to the developmental part of what both guys bring as leaders of their respective units. I do, I do like it when you have a, a coordinator stay inside the division. You get the Charger Raider thing there. That, that's kind of fun. Uh, makes sense, too, from a family standpoint, too. If you think about some of these coaches, you, you gosh, you don't want to be bouncing around all over the place. You could probably, if you're Gus, you probably still keep home base, you know, in Orange County. In LA, yeah, you can fly back and forth. I mean, if you want to, like at, at night, he could do it. Like you fly, fly a night, see the fam, come back early in the morning and get there. So, yeah, it gives you more opportunities, more possibilities when it comes to that. But, yeah, and also – the familiarity in terms of knowing your division opponents. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's a really big deal. 
And if you, you know, look, they haven't, uh, I mean, they won the one at the end of the year when the Chiefs were taking a knee, but they have been competitive and they have done very well of slowing down Patrick Mahomes in that, in that group. If I'm not mistaken, was Gus, did Gus work in Tampa with Gruden? Uh, I know Gus is a Marinelli man. I'm, I don't know, but I know there's something. I know Gus and Rod Marinelli were together. And with mm-hmm. Rod being there, I could see all of that kind of working together. I feel like it's really important that he, John Gruden, wanted that scheme, that yeah. stuff. He may just not have wanted like Rod to take all of that stuff on, the challenges of, of calling it and doing it maybe at his age and stuff like I that. I believe it's the same thing in terms of you better get your front four, get after it. Um, Gus, not not big on, you know, sending a bunch of exotic pressures. You need to get home of four, you know, play that single high a lot and keep the ball in front of you, rally and tackle. Yeah, no, it's funny. And having conversations with Gus, and you'll know more because you studied um, you studied charges every week. But Gus had talked to me about, like, Pete was so big on the, the three-deep zone or whatever, but Gus working with Rod Marinelli, he liked the Tampa 2 stuff and that their original playing in Seattle was to basically morph what – Rod Marinelli and Monty Kiffin and those guys did in Tampa mm-hmm. with the Tampa two, but to do it with the three deep zone. And he yeah. felt like the best of both worlds was to be able to do both things, play Tampa two and that cover three and put it together. So quarterbacks knew that they couldn't always just throw it to the flat without some resistance from the corner showing up and, and doing some of that stuff. No doubt. Um, all right. Well, any, anybody you like here for the Eagles uh, gig here? You know, it's, it's like it's really tough because, you know, the reports that come out of there, it's about Lurie wanting to know what is the future vision? Because this team is kind of at a crossroads in terms of the cap situation, making some decisions. You have the quarterback stuff or whatever. Obviously, whoever comes in has to have a plan for getting Carson Wentz back right. They also have to have a plan for building a team that can win the division. And DJ, you've talked to me about this team just doesn't invest in linebackers. They, they never really seen it as, as a thing. And I, I think at some point, though, like if they want their defense to be up to the level of the competitors in the division, they're going to have to put something in the linebacker position. Great up front, something in the back end, but you got to get some players. So one of the things I was thinking about it and where they're picking, they're picking six. So, you know, Look, they could they could decide that neither one of their current quarterbacks are their guy, and they could take one at six. They could try and take a, a, a receiver to come in. Man, it's just tough when you. I don't. I, I love Jamar Chase, but man, going receiver back to back in the first rounds is difficult when you can I, find them anywhere else. I, I don't. I don't think you can do that. I don't think. I think. I think you have to put the onus on Jalen Rager. You got to get better. Like you yeah. have to be better. You have to be the impact player. We take you in the first round for a reason. We expect you to be this player in twenty twenty one. You have to play to that level. But I think about the salary cap mess that they're in. To me, it actually makes a lot of sense if we're talking about four quarterbacks going, if they could multiple times trade back and get as many picks, not only this year, but even next year, and try mm-hmm. and have a two-year period where, look, we're going to have to play. We're going to have to roster a lot of rookies, and they're going to have to roster on some undrafted free agents because we're going to have to clean up all the salary cap mess that they find themselves in. Yeah, and I think that's going to have to be a very transparent conversation, but – what that does, though, it creates a lot of pressure because if you're talking about a, a, a roster rebuild or retool, your quarterback has to be able to play in the midst of that. And yeah. with all the pressure that is going to be on him because people are going to view this as a power struggle, like he is going to have to be able to get back on track and he's going to be able to – he needs to be able to do more with less. And I don't know if that's what Jeffrey Lurie is going to sign up for when it comes to 
look, I'm writing this big check. Am mm-hmm. I confident that my quarterback can do it? I think he may have to devote some more resources to make sure that Carson gets off the ground. So here's a challenge for teams that are going to have to clean up the salary cap is I think you need to find a way to get two things. You need to find a way to get youth, right? But man, if you can get maturity to go along with that youth, they can they can coexist. You can actually mm-hmm. find a young kid, rookies that are passionate and professional and mature. So you can infuse this life and all this young blood into your organization, but you get the right kids that come out of the right places and are wired the right way. Um, now you've got a chance with to have some success. You don't have to go through a lean years of being four and 12. If you get some mature young guys to, to put in the mix. Does that mean I need to go back and I need to put on the thing and say, we want four year players, guys that have graduated guys who come from winning programs. Do we need to go back and, and have that conversation all over again and make sure that we're getting we're getting the right guys uh, I don't in the program. I don't think that's dated, man. I, I really don't. You know, I, I, I mean, I think I think that works. Um, and I don't know if some of the listeners haven't heard the reason why it was desirable. When I was in Carolina, John Fox was a big fan of college graduates, guys who had at least been in college four years, um, guys who had earned their degree. And part of it was because of the maturity. That is necessary. Part of that is also the goal setting and the goal completion. You started in school, you finished school, you spent four years there. So you've gone through the full developmental process. If you're on a winning team, because you also wanted guys that came from winning programs, you understand the sacrifice and the work that goes into being a winner because he didn't want to have to spend a whole lot of time teaching guys how to be professionals. Uh, You would like them to understand that coming in. So now we can focus on tactics and schemes and your own development and stuff like that. And so it does help if you have a mature player that comes in and understands that you don't have to babysit them. Um, I agree with you. Uh, this has been fun. We could do this all day, man. Uh, it's been great to catch up. Buck, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, nah, that's it, man. No, just looking forward to the, the games this weekend, the divisional round, being able to kind of separate these teams. It, I mean, it's fascinating. It's fascinating when you see the matchups that we have. Well, I'm I'm pumped for this time of year. I feel you know I feel like I got three jobs right. I do the Charger thing, we do the Amazon thing, and we do our work here at NFL Media Group. So two are done, man. Put two to bed, and now um, we a draft is coming, and we can dive in. So it's a it's a fun time of year. Uh, want to thank everybody uh, for helping us here as we got this bad boy up and running. Want to thank Nabil, Mark, as always, uh, Cole joining the team, doing a great job as well. So appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks, presented by Castrol Edge. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids, Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. 
Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait, did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 